Palm Sunday story according to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Then they brought a young colt to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on it, they set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they'd seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And as he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. We usually refer to the sixth Sunday of Lent as Palm Sunday, and that, of course, it is, as you've just heard, but in every corner of the global church, this is also Passion Sunday. So in every lectionary, schedule of readings given to the congregations to read on a specific Sunday, there's a parallel set of readings tracing Jesus' passion on this sixth Sunday of Lent. And so since we're preaching this sermon series called Famous Last Words, let's look at the last words of Jesus from the cross according to Luke Chapter 23, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In Richard II, Shakespeare writes, So, but they say the tongues of dying men enforce attention like deep harmony. Where words are scarce, they are seldom spent in vain, for they breathe truth that breathe their words in pain. We pay attention to the last words of a person just before they die. Some famous last words unexpectedly are played for comic relief, such as, are you sure the power is off? Or, which wire was I supposed to cut? Or, I wonder where the mother bear is. There was the famous Civil War general who was looking out over a bunker at the enemy troops and when warned to keep his head down, he said, they couldn't hit an elephant at this di- <laughs> Do you know what they carved on Mel Blanc's tombstone? That's all, folks. Others are more serious, of course. Queen Elizabeth I said, all my possessions for a moment in time. There are three versions of Ludwig von Beethoven's last words. His secretary recorded this, Pity, pity, too late. This one's a little better. 
Friends applaud. The comedy is over. But my favorite, of course, is the third version of Beethoven's last words, in heaven I shall hear. The Greek mathematician Archimedes was so busy working on a math problem by scratching in the sand that he didn't notice that the Romans had invaded his hometown of Syracuse. And so when a soldier came to arrest him, he said, you're standing on my problem. The Roman soldier said, you're under arrest. He said, wait till I finish my problem. The Roman soldier did not appreciate this insolence, so those were his last words, wait till I finished my problem. Shakespeare said, where words are scarce, they are seldom spent in vain. But do you know what Shakespeare's last words were? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Also Charlemagne, Christopher Columbus, Martin Luther, Michelangelo, George Herbert, Charles Dickens, these rulers and artists, all apparently you couldn't improve on the last words of Jesus Christ, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And of course, we have the Roman and Anglican prayer books to thank for this. That's what you say when they give you last rites. Now, these words aren't even original with Jesus. They're the words of an ancient song every Jewish mother would teach to her child when the child was just two years old. They may have been the first words spoken by most Jewish children. Psalm 31, verse 5, you have Redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God, into your hands I commend my spirit. It's a bedtime prayer children would sing. When breath dies and life wanes and shadow enshrouds the mind, maybe there's nothing left to remember but the words your mother taught you when you first learned human speech. So Jesus died as he lived, right? In the spirit. When Jesus talks about the Spirit, you don't know whether he's talking about his own spirit, his psyche, his essence, his existence, or if he's talking about God's Spirit. They were intermingled. You couldn't pull them apart. With every breath Jesus took, he breathed the Spirit of God and lived the life of God. So, this is especially true in the Gospel of Luke. Here's um, an enterprising uh, activity for Lent in 2018. You can go home this week during Holy Week, read the entire Gospel of Luke. If you read four chapters a day, about 20 minutes, you'll end up in chapter 24 of the resurrection chapter on Easter Sunday. You'll discover that in the Gospel of Luke, God's Spirit was there before He was born and it was there after He died. It breathed Him into being and it carried Him out of life. The Spirit of God is there before Jesus is born. The angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child within you is to be called Holy, the Son of God. The Spirit descends visibly at His baptism. And at His first sermon, Jesus preaches, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind. And so Jesus lived his whole life with this intense and singular purpose. And so he can die in the Lord because he lived in the Lord. Jesus means to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, no matter what the cost. Smack dab in the middle of this Gospel of Luke in chapter 9, Luke tells us that despite all the warnings of the dangers of going to Jerusalem, Luke tells us that Jesus set his face to go there. He squares his shoulder, he clenches his fist, he grits his teeth, and sets his face to go to Jerusalem. 
He had the same grim and fierce determination as those Parkland, Florida kids did yesterday and all those marches across the land. You know, at first the people give him a hero's welcome. They spread their cloaks in the road for the donkey to walk across. And they cut palm branches from the trees and yell, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But it takes only five days before those shouts of Hosanna morph into crucify him. But that was the singular purpose of his existence, to set up the kingdom of God right down the road from the Holy of Holies and the Jewish temple, right down the road from Pilate's palace. When you commit your spirit into God's hands in life, you can hand it over to him one last time in death. Have you ever seen August Wilson's play, Fences, Pulitzer Prize, Tony Award for Best Play in 1987? Maybe you saw the filmed version from last year with Denzel Washington, four Academy Award nominations, one win for Viola Davis for Best Supporting Actress. Fences is about Troy Maxson a black middle-aged garbage handler from the streets of Pittsburgh. In his youth, Troy had been a, a promising, a brilliant baseball player in the black baseball leagues before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in the major leagues. Troy had been every bit as promising as Jackie, but he was the wrong color. And in the play, someone says to Troy, there's a lot of colored baseball players in the big leagues now. You just come along too early. And Troy says, there ought never to be a time called too early. That's the way of the world. It's always too early. But Jesus says, it's never too early to accept the unacceptable, to love the unlovable, to throw lavish banquets for the hungry, to make kingdom citizens of the dispossessed and the disinherited. Why is it always too early? When my son graduated from university in 2010, he went straight to Houston for five weeks of intensive training so that he could learn to be an educator for Teach for America, this organization that sends bright college graduates into the classroom, classrooms of America's neediest schools, sort of like a domestic Peace Corps where you enlist for a two-year commitment. And then... If you're happy at the end of your two years, you re-enlist for a third year. And so Michael taught biology to ninth graders at, for two years at Miami Central High School. Kind of a hardship assignment, living in a high-rise on a canal off the bay in North Miami Beach with 20 other Teach for America kids. He had a blast. <laughs> and when he'd completed his two-year commitment, he went to work for Teach for America headquarters in New York City. He used to boast that his seat assignment in the office was four desks down from Wendy Kopp, the founder. And so I have a high regard for Teach for America. Many smart people question the wisdom of staffing wild classrooms with young kids who have five weeks of training instead of with educators who have master's degrees in education. But their goal, Teach for America's goal, is to pump valuable human potential from elite universities into poor neighborhoods. Michael felt that he made a small, modest contribution to the city of Miami for his two years. So a while back, the Washington Post ran an article about the Wheatley Elementary School in the Trinidad neighborhood of Northeast Washington, 
D.C. That neighborhood sounds a lot like our neighborhoods on the south and west sides of Chicago. Lots of violence. Kids who are getting too little supervision. Michelle Ree, chancellor of the Washington schools at the time, and also a Teach for America alum, no? asked Scott, Scott Cartland, another TFA veteran, to try to turn the school around. And when Scott began, became principal at this school two years before this article was written, it was just chaos. The kids were running the school, said Scott. And so when he arrived, he replaced 80% of the faculty and also asked seven Teach for America kids to enter those classrooms, including a young woman named Amber Smith, teaching fifth grade. And no one claims people like Amber are changing the world, right? Some of her fifth graders are labeled non-readers, which means that they've somehow managed to get to the fifth grade reading at less than a kindergarten level. They are non-readers. It's a tough situation, and the improvements have been modest. But the Post reporter telling Amber's story says of her that she is impossibly young and impossibly committed. And I love that phrase, impossibly young, so naive and yet impossibly committed. Amber lives in that Trinidad neighborhood with her students. She walks to school with them every morning. She attends their basketball games and their dance shows. When this reporter talked to her, Amber's two-year commitment was almost complete, and when asked what she would do next, she said, I'm staying. I can't leave until it has changed. Impossibly young and impossibly committed. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, says Jesus from the cross, gathering up his last breath to cry out the most famous and copied last words of them all. No time to be creative. When breath is short, all you have to pray with is the prayer your mother taught you when you first learned human speech. And it's not unlike the prayer we were taught when we were children, yes? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. But life is short. Commitment is now. Maybe our prayer should be, if I should wake before I die. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. If we live in God, we can die into God. And that's not even the end at all. In life and in death, we belong to God. And three days later, it all begins again. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.